Time once again for another edition of the Harris Happening here on the Mighty 790 KFGO and KFGO.com. And as promised, it's time for another edition of The Vet Is In. Dr. Doreen Winning from the Valley Veterinary Hospital. She joins us once a month every uh, Saturday here on KFGO's uh, Harris Happening. And uh, Dr. Doreen Winning, thank you for uh, coming back. And uh, boy, I tell you what, uh, no cold temperatures are moving on in. And uh, I've already got a couple of folks uh, asking me about uh, doggy booties, but maybe we'll wait on that until ne- next December. Uh, December, okay? <laughs> Soon to think about that, isn't it, Bob? <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, I don't want to think about it. I guess. Uh, yeah, I, well, I've seen so many goofy things when it comes to doggy booties too. But uh, anyway, we'll co- we'll conquer that down the road here a little bit. <laughs> now, I understand you're getting a lot of questions as we move into uh, the fall season here uh, from uh, pet owners. And a lot of folks are asking about, uh, you know, as we get into uh, the climate where maybe they're not going to be able to get as much exercise, should we change the amount of feed, the food that we uh, feed our dogs? Well, we do get questions about that. Uh, with the change of seasons, you know, the amount of food that our pets eat per day is going to change with their activity level. And so we have to be aware of that as we're heading into the winter months you know, what should I be feeding my dog? What should I be feeding my cat? Though cats, you know, generally are sedentary year round and that's, you know, a cat's prerogative. But dogs especially, how much should I be feeding? We get asked that question a lot. And I will preface it by saying, you know, you've got to take a look at the calorie count of the diet that you're feeding. So that means flipping the bag over and looking at the kcals per cup. That's K-C-A-L per cup. And then what your veterinarian can do is help you determine for your pet and based on your pet's body condition, how much of that diet you should be feeding. Each food has their own kcal per cup measurement. So you have to be aware of that. Now, the other thing is you can start with package recommendations and go from there, up or down. But it's so easy to let the weight get away from us. And I can tell you right now, with my dogs, they have ran around all summer on the farm and we're coming into the city life this time of year and I'm cutting way back on the amount of food they're eating. Interesting. Is there such a thing as like a seasonal food? You know, because should we be feeding them something different between summer months and, and winter months? You know, that's a good question, too. And I, I would say in general for the average pet, no, you don't need to change the, the diet or the calorie count uh, of the diet necessarily. Now, for hunting dogs, that is a big difference. Hunting dogs, a lot of hunting dogs, sporting dogs owners will go ahead and change their diet for the season, meaning increasing their protein and calorie levels over the hunting season, over the sporting season. So that's something to be taken into consideration as well. But for the average dog, the average household pet, you don't really need to worry about that. I will say You know, with my dogs, once they were through with their puppy food, I just went immediately to the adult light formula or weight management formula. Some brands of food are called and and skipped. We bypassed that um, 
regular adult diet, just because obesity, I see it so much every day. I would say the vast majority of pets coming in are way overweight. So we need to be aware of that. And just like we are in ourselves, our pet, it's not healthy for them to be overweight. And so cutting back on the food this time of year is especially important. Speaking of uh dogs and seasonal changes. I'm just kind of curious. I had one person who said that their dog went absolutely bananas, even though they only had about seven trick-or-treaters this year. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just curious, how did your three do? Did you did you have kids come over to your house? You know, I, I didn't. And, you know, I'm feeling kind of bad about that now, honestly, because I look back and I, I saw SpongeBob and Patrick walking down the street. <laughs> Of my uh, of my block, and I just thought, you know, that's so fun. I wish I was um, doing the trick or treating thing, but no, it's such a hassle with the dogs to begin with, and you know, it's just I eat the candy more than the kids do. So. <laughs> well, with the COVID, you know, you you had to be careful either way. So a lot of people. Yeah, that's were my in, excuse this year. <laughs> a lot of people are in the same boat. A lot of people are in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about uh, if we should let's uh, switch to animals, shall we? Let's go to cats for just a little bit. I understand you were getting questions about uh, cats uh, vomiting. Is that something normal? You know, except for maybe the hairball. <laughs> yeah, you know. A lot of pet owners or cat owners just assume that it's okay for their cat to vomit a couple times a week. And I'm here to tell you that does not have to be the case. A lot of those cats have underlying conditions that cause the vomiting and we should, our goal should be to alleviate that problem almost entirely, except for maybe the average hairball we really don't have to have cats that are vomiting once or twice a week. And so thinking about different things that can cause vomiting in cats, certainly dietary sensitivities can cause vomiting in cats. And you can do something as simple as trying a different diet to see if there's something in a different diet that eases the burden on the GI tract. Um, some cats have a component of inflammatory bowel disease and your veterinarian can help you determine if that's the case and how to best go about solving that problem. For example, there are some cats that just need medications to control the vomiting. And so that combined with food can really increase the quality of life for a lot of kitty cats out there. So I would say no, if your cat is vomiting once a week or twice a week, or even more, that's a good topic to bring up at your next veterinary visit. And once again, if you just joined us, Dr. Doreen Winning from the Valley Veterinary Hospital here on the Mighty 790 KFGO, and the vet is in. And uh, should we uh, continue with the with food talk here for a little bit? Sure. Sounds good. Okay. Now we're talking about different kinds of food, right? Yep. So a lot of people... Uh, will have questions about feeding their cats different kinds of foods. Or, you know what, we can expand this to dogs as well. Is it okay to feed my dog or cat different kinds of foods? And I would say yes. And I would, unless your pet has a specific health condition that dictates what food it's going to eat, it's good to offer your pet different kinds of foods early on in life. And the reason I say that is because cats especially can get 
stuck on a certain kind of taste or texture. And when they're young, when they're kittens, you're going to want to introduce them to a wide variety, offer different kinds of kitten foods, different kinds of treats, because there's going to be a day that comes in that cat's life where you're going to need to have it on a specific diet and you want a cat that's well adjusted to trying different things and is tolerant of different tastes and textures. For example, some cats are adamant that they only get crunchy food or vice versa. They only want canned food. If you start introducing those two different kinds of foods into their life early on, they'll be more accepting of that canned diet as a senior cat. They've been introduced to it before. That doesn't mean that they need to have canned food their whole life exclusively, but just a variety of tastes and textures is good. Dogs are the same way. You wanna, as puppies, try different diets. You might find that a certain diet works very well for them in their GI system, gassiness, stool quality, that kind of thing, vomiting, for example. And so you want to make sure that you know exactly what is the best food for your puppy, and that can involve different trials of different kinds of foods. There's no one perfect diet that is uniformly beneficial for all dogs out there. So we need to make sure that we're trying different ones just to make sure that we know that it is the best diet for our pets. Now, we've heard a lot of things. We've talked, you and I, several times about, you know, no caffeine, no raisins, no grapes for your dogs, you know, all, all these kind of items. But there was an interesting little article the other day that says you're not supposed to feed your dog raw meat. And I thought, mm-hmm. really? I, 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 I don't understand that, but uh, but I know even even in the younger days when my mom was cooking us food, you know, she'd trim the steak or whatever and uh, give the dog a little bits and stuff like that. So raw meat is not good for your dog? Raw meat is a concern for the same reason that it's a concern for people, and that's bacterial contamination or salmonella, for example, is one of the most common ones that we think of. And so, yes, it's best to offer your pet cooked meat products. And so um, the same goes for diet-wise in general. There are some people that truly believe raw diets are more beneficial to pets than the pet food companies that produce processed um, pet foods provide. And what I would say to that is I used to be entirely closed-minded to raw diets. Um, but I do realize there are some dogs that really benefit from that, but that is, uh, very much so a rare event and that I, for example, I would never feed my dog raw diet because I just don't have the time to prepare, prepare it and follow quality control. And so that's just not an option in my household. That, and I know when I'm feeding them a packaged diet that's from one of the major pet food companies, Purina, Science Diet, Royal Canin, IOMS, those companies have done a tremendous, they've spent a lifetime worth of testing on these diets to make sure they do exactly what the label says and what the nutrient quality and quantity is exactly what the label says. 
So we can get carried away in different pet foods, and I know that's another another topic. But as far as raw diets go, raw treats, that kind of thing, I usually steer people away from that, except mm-hmm. for only in very individualized, very, very rare circumstances. Dr. Doreen Winning from the Valley Veterinary Hospital. We will take a break, and we'll be back with more here on The Vet Is In on KFGO. Here's Happening continues. The vet is in. Dr. Doreen Winning from the Valley Veterinary Hospital here on the Mighty 790 KFGO. And let's get back to your pets and your pet questions and your pet information, including kitty cats. Uh, you were talking to me off mic about uh, letting your cats play with your fingers. What's the deal on that? We notice a lot when puppies and kittens come into their first appointments at the vet They like to, you know, they're learning, they're exploring with their mouths, and a lot of owners have troubles with, oh my goodness, should I let my kitty be biting and gnawing and mouthing my hands? And we can actually talk about this with dogs, too, because it's the same concern. And and really, no, you, you really don't want your pet, your kitten, your puppy to be playing with your hands, mouthing your hands. Um, that should be an off-limit type of um, of uh, play. And so you want to direct that play towards something that's more acceptable. Hands are not to be bitten. They're not to be mouthed. And they're certainly to be respected. And we teach them respect by redirecting them to more appropriate play behavior. And whether that's a great and fabulous toy that um, it doesn't hurt when they bite down on, that's great. Um, cats like to chase things too as as young kittens. And so tossing a little fuzzy um, toy, um, sparkly, sometimes sparkly is better. They, it attracts their attention. And um, you don't want to be forcing a kitten to do anything to the point where it makes them try to bite you or, you know, that behavior, Bob, where they um, grab onto your hand and kick with their rear feet. We might think that's kind of cute and funny as pet owners, but it's really not acceptable and it's not teaching them the right habits. So you need to stop uh, with the, the things that actually induce that behavior and, you know, move them on in a more acceptable direction. Redirect them. You have to think later on down the line, too, that uh, one of these days they get excited when they're doing this and maybe bite a little harder than they were biting you when uh, they were a kitten or a puppy and, you know, could really hurt somebody. (laughs) Well, and that's exactly that. You're right. You're so right, because that's exactly where we see this kind of behavior go. It's it's again, it's cute and funny as a kitten. But when they get to be adults, they have been reinforced. And so that biting gets harder, the kicking and the scratching get deeper, and you just, you're in a vicious cycle. So it's really important as we get these kittens into our households not to push their buttons, so to speak. Um, hold them gently, touch them gently, reward acceptance for um, petting. Now, there will be, I will say, some kittens that are not lap cats, and they never will be. And so... Some cats want to be petted once and they want to move on. They don't want you touching them. They Cats live on their own terms and 
So we kind of are just uh, visitors in their realm. So, by the way, so my, we have to go along with their rules. By the way, my sister had a goofy cat who uh, would like to chase the uh, little little red laser lights, you know, down, up and down the hall. Mm-hmm. You can give the cat mm-hmm. exercise without even getting off the couch, for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, so there are so many ways to stimulate them. And, and don't forget treating them. Um, and rewarding good, positive behavior. And just, again, remember that some cats just will never be lap cats, that their choice is to, you know, maybe get an occasional pet here and there, and that's about it. Let's talk a little bit about, as we transition into the uh, winter months here now, uh, what are the, some of the things that we should be aware of for our pets as we make that transition and they make that transmission? Transition. Yeah. So, you know, we always talk about cold weather things and we can talk about that sometime, but really what I worry about is boredom. Um, Let's start thinking about what are the ways that we can stimulate our pets to uh, have some environmental enrichment in our, our household and not let them become bored. And so, hiding treats in the house, and especially if you've got puppies in the house um, or younger dogs, this can be a fun thing. Just hide a treat under a blanket or, you know, hide it in back of the sofa or different things that it becomes a seeking hide-and-seek type um, behavior where they can find things. And that doesn't necessarily, you're playing hide-and-seek with them, I mean hide-and-seek with treats. And you can also get these, they're called snuffle mats, and you can put different things in them for the dogs to pick out. So you can hide treats or kibble, and that can help some puppies too with slowing down their eating habits. They have to search in these snuffle mats. One thing I will say about snuffle mats, absolutely positively must have supervision because if you have a puppy that's prone to just um, chewing things apart and being more interested in ripping apart the map, you've got problems with foreign body ingestion. So it always, always has to be supervised. Snuffle, S-N- so, S-N-U-F-F-L-E, snuffle mats? Yeah, snuffle mats. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm writing that down here because I'm sure we're going to get a call on that later on. What was that deal she was talking about again? Yeah, yeah. And basically, they're just activity mats, and they're designed for entertainment of the puppies. So pockets. Some of them will have pockets. Some of them will have thick threads that they have to snitch and sniff and search uh, through to find their rewards. And so that's a nice um, activity for them. Also for puppies, you know, it's so hard this year with COVID. And I, I do have concerns that as we have these puppies in this COVID year become adults in next year, that we're gonna see some socialization problems. And so get your dogs, your puppies out for walks, get used to different sights, sounds, and smells, socialize as much as possible, you know, ideally at a distance, of course. Um, Get them that exercise. You can do scent work, you know, like we talked about in the house, they can search out for treats. There are ways to do treat, um, train them to do scent work at home, if you don't have a class that you can go to, um, they dogs are in general. If you don't find them something constructive to do, 
they will find something to do and it won't be destructive. <laughs> so this is the time of year to start planning that out, planning those winter activities, because we're getting, I can tell you already with my own dogs, we're getting into the season. They're mentally not stimulated and they're starting to get into trouble. <laughs> and well, we don't want that. Someday when we have more time, I'll tell you the story of my first dog that uh, that did some really interesting things to my mother's uh, Ethan Allen furniture. It was not good. It was not pretty at all. <laughs> yeah, Ethan Allen furniture is expensive. Yeah. <laughs> One more quick thing here. We just have a couple more moments, but uh, you wanted to touch a little bit on uh, the pro- there's some problems with the kitty's jaws you, you want to talk about, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's always interesting. I see some of these cases from time to time, and, and you know, we'll talk a little bit about one of them that I have seen recently. And the reason I want to talk about it is because it's not an uncommon problem in cats, and it's called stomatitis. And basically stomatitis just means inflammation of the gingival tissues of the mouth. And it typically will happen way in the back of the mouth where the jaws meet. And it's painful. It's red sores, thickened um, gingival tissue that's in the back of the mouth. It's a painful chronic condition in cats. And this is one good reason why Cats should have a checkup every year, no matter if there are vaccines due or not. Any cat should have a visit to the vet at least once a year. And so that includes indoor house cats that never, ever go outside. They should see their doctor once a year. And so from time to time, we'll see these cats come in and they'll have stomatitis. And we'll see this red, irritated gum tissue in the back of the mouth. And cats, it's extremely painful. They're in a lot of pain and the owners don't even know. Uh, They just don't show it. They still eat their food. They still, you know, have regular habits. But it might be subtle changes that the owner just isn't in tune to because they're cats. They do what they want to do. And so how do we diagnose this as a problem? Well, visually, you can see it. You know, as a veterinarian, you can look in the mouth and see it. We can confirm our suspicions with a biopsy. And basically, that's um, where we would take a piece of tissue when the cat's under anesthesia. We would snip out a piece of that gum tissue and send it off to a pathologist to confirm a diagnosis. And once we get a diagnosis, the treatment is going to depend on each individual case. But I can tell you more often than not, what works the best is just getting rid of the teeth, extracting all the teeth. <laughs> usually, <laughs> usually all the premolars and molars go. And so once we do that, in a vast majority of the cases, that solves the problem very, very well. Oh, wow. There are some that we still need medications beyond that. And... Um, we can consider different medications like prednisone or um, uh, different inflammatory immune suppressants. And so it's, it's a frustrating disease to treat, but it is treatable in most cases. And I remember, you know, back when I started practicing veterinary medicine over 20 years ago, there, you know, we didn't know as much 
then as we do know now. And so we now know that getting rid of those teeth for whatever reason, we don't exactly know why this happens in cats, but there's something about getting rid of the teeth that seems to help a lot of cats. So um, it's even though it sounds scary, um, getting rid of all those teeth, it really can be beneficial in the long run. And again, that's only getting rid of the teeth in the cats that have stomatitis. We're not talking about, you know, any other like gingivitis that can occur around the teeth or anything like that. We wouldn't necessarily be pulling teeth for that reason. But anyway, it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those things we see from time to time. And again, I think the key point is, you know, pet owners, cat owners don't necessarily, it's not something as a pet owner that you're looking at the way back of the inside of the mouth. And so vet visits are important as kitties age for sure. Very good. Well, that's going to put the wraps on and for another edition of The Vet is In here on our uh, Saturday afternoon. The uh, Hair is Happening. Dr. Doreen Winning from the Valley Veterinary Hospital. Uh, give us the details. Where are you at and where can we find you and uh, what's your phone number, et cetera, et cetera. We're at 3210 Main Avenue in Fargo. Our phone number is 232-3391. And we are online at valleyveterinary.net. .net. Very good. Well, Doc, thank you so much. And uh, we'll get you back here again next month to do a little chit-chatting on the Harris Happening. Thank you for joining us once again here on KFGO. Thanks, Bob. Have a great month.